Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for April 4th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to discuss the latest film news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is senior writer of SlashFilm.com, Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer, Y Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. Uh, before we get into this, uh, this morning was kind of a stressful morning. It is... Hotel Apocalypse Day, which uh, I'm not sure if everybody out there knows what that is. It's, it's certainly something that all of film Twitter discusses uh, this year, uh, this day every year. And basically, what it is is Comic Con in San Diego is the biggest, you know, comic convention. Actually, it probably isn't the biggest comic convention in the world anymore. I think uh, Brazil might have overtaken. But it's, it's one of the biggest comic conventions uh, in the United States. It's definitely a big thing for uh, the movie and TV world. Uh, and, um, you know, we we get press badges to Comic-Con. Getting a badge to Comic-Con is pretty tough in and in, 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 of itself. You know, I, I see every year at Comic-Con people in line to get tickets for the badge for the next year. It, it's, it's a tough thing to get badges for Comic-Con. We are lucky enough to get press badges, which don't give us any extra access whatsoever. But uh, every year um, at a certain day, the hotels go on sale 
uh, for uh, the area, the San Diego area surrounding Comic-Con um, for a cheap rate, which uh, is not so cheap. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a cheaper rate than you would get on like Airbnb and the inflated, uh, you know, thousand dollar a night stays that you normally get. Uh, but this is basically the only way if you want to stay within a mile of the San Diego Convention Center, you you huddle at a computer and um, you have to get into this this line system and fill out a form really fast. And it, it's this whole process and it's it's anxiety. This is a uh, HD. This is the, your first year doing hotel uh, hotel apocalypse yeah and i was actually kind of secretly excited to participate just because the past few years i've seen all of these people on film twitter bemoaning the whole experience and i kind of had a little fomo i wanted to be involved and uh, i felt like this was sort of my indoctrination into uh this community but i realized why people were complaining <laughs> about it because it's an awful experience in like the first five minutes by 905 but Ben, do you think that will be good enough? God, I hope so, man. This It's so ridiculous that this is the process. I, I mean, there's got to be a better way. But uh, I guess they're just like incrementally improving it year by year. Um, I, I think we were talking about this uh, where like they give you a few minutes to fill out the form, but it's all based on how quickly you actually get into the digital line. I mean, it, it's like a whole thing. So for, the, oh, for yeah. people out there who have no idea what we're talking about, um, I apologize for us talking about this, but it's like it's such a big deal for every website that wants to cover Comic-Con. It's like it's something you have to deal with. And, and this we're is talking us. about this in the Slack. Oh, we're talking about this in the Slack slash Slack, but it was uh, it's kind of like a Black Mirror episode where you're forced to do this thing. And it's like um, Kafka-esque in a way. <laughs> Hopefully we, one of us got one of the hotels we were wanting because w w what we do is we cram all into one hotel room um, because it, it's Comic-Con is very expensive. Uh, so we'll keep you updated on that. I'm not sure. And let's start off with uh, a bit of big news, and that is that The Last Starfighter may be becoming a movie again. They might be rebooting The Last Starfighter. Rogue One screenwriter Gary Whitta is working on it and shared some concept art. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, this morning, uh, Gary Whitta, who wrote uh, Rogue One and the Book of Eli, uh, tweeted out some concept art for a new version of The Last Starfighter. And this was very cryptic. We didn't know exactly what was going on. He said that he was working on this with his co-writer, Jonathan Batool. I think that's how you pronounce his last name, Bet Betuel. I'm not sure. I apologize, Jonathan, if you're listening. Uh, but he's the guy who wrote the screenplay for The Last Starfighter, which is the 1984 sci-fi film. I actually never saw that movie growing up, but I know that a lot of people who did did, uh, hold it in very high regard. Um, it's one of those movies that apparently is very much of its time, but is it made a huge impact on a, a generation of kids who grew up watching it. It's, it's essentially about a kid who plays a video game, and that video game turns out to be a recruitment tool for an alien army who uh, recruits this kid to you know help save the universe, that, that kind of thing. Um, this 
these tweets from Gary Whitta were, like I said, very cryptic. We didn't know entirely what was going on. He was tweeting like screenshots from the movie and just said, you know, I might have a little bit more information for you later. And it turns out that information came in the form of an interview with io9 where he explains how he ended up tracking down Jonathan Batool and pestering him with some fan questions and then actually working with him on a new version of uh, The Last Starfighter. So a lot of people over the years have tried to remake this movie, but uh, because Batool himself ended up owning some of the rights to the, the property, um, that was always the roadblock. People can never really get past uh, him. So people like Steven Spielberg couldn't even access the rights to and, and purchase the rights to this property. So a lot of time, you know, pe- people would try. And then I think the closest that that we really have to something like this right now is um, is Seth Rogen's Hulu show Future Man. And Rogen himself is one of those people who tried to get this project made for years. And uh, he eventually just sort of like took, uh, <laughs> I guess, was inspired by this movie and and sort of twisted it into his own his own uh, Hulu property there. But uh, and in- also we mentioned yesterday Ernie Klein's novel Armada uh, is also kind of like a Last Starfighter ripoff, and that's in development now. Right. Yeah, exactly. So there's something in the air right now for uh, for The Last Starfighter and these kinds of stories being told. Um, in the interview with io9, Gary Witta says that he and uh, and his co-writer currently have a fully developed story that is a combination of reboot and sequel that we both think honors the legacy of the original film while passing the torch to a new generation. So it does sound like there are still a few rights issues that need to be worked out before the movie officially gets a green light. Uh, he said that they're still speaking with Universal about this. Um, so it, this movie is not, you know, 100% a done deal yet, but he is sharing concept art from it. And it does sound like this is, you know, closer than it's ever been before to actually happening because of the involvement of the original screen uh, screenwriters uh, in this project. So um, that's got to be exciting news for people who grew up watching this movie. Peter, are you one of those people? Did you grow up watching this film? I didn't grow up watching this film, but I, I revisited it or I saw it um, probably eight years ago. And it, it is a good concept. It was ahead of its time. Um, it's uh, not a good movie, but you, it's definitely a film that should be remade. It's it's perfect. Um for 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 today uh you know especially like you know like this ready player one world um but uh i don't know something about this i'm wondering how i'm wondering what the chances of us actually seeing this movie are because traditionally when you have the rights to movie you do not release concept art on twitter uh do you know i mean like this seems this seems almost like a play like uh you know how that uh that test short for Deadpool was leaked online mm-hmm. or something. This seems like it's, it's, it's being put online to drum up publicity to maybe uh, let the powers that be, that might be the sticking point for these, for this rights to, uh, to, to let them have it because I don't see any other reason for letting, you know, the world into this, the, the early development process like this. Like this is, unheard of um really uh you know most of the time you do not see anything until you know the marketing train begins Um, yeah i think you're right i think they're probably trying to convince people that there's an audience out there for this and and people you know a passionate fan base who uh, would support the movie uh ht did you ever see this film i've actually never seen the last starfighter i only know the premise of it and i would be interested in seeing a remake i think that Video game movies, like movies that are adapted off of video games, might not work. But 
movies that seem to take in the sort of structure and riff off of these video games do really well and people are really respond to it. So yeah, I, I'd be interested, although I think it's kind of funny that we have an almost oversaturation of last Starfighter-esque projects going on right now. Yeah. I could totally imagine this project being called uh, The Last Starfighter, The Next Generation, or The Last Starfighters. <laughs> um, that, that That's my pitch to Gary Whitta. But, um, the Last Starfighter Legacy. Legacy, yeah. I mean, that would work. I'm <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I wonder if they're going to bring back any of the actors from the original. Probably not. I don't think anybody even remembers who those are, because I, I, I certainly <laughs> don't. Um, let's move on to another franchise, and that is the Terminator franchise. Uh, you know, they're going to be making another big screen movie under the, the uh, not the direction, but the pr- production of uh, James Cameron. And now a new comic book is coming out. Uh, it, HT, you have wrote this up. You wrote this up for the site. What does this new comic book have, uh, tell us about the evolution of this Terminator franchise? So a new four-issue Terminator series is called Terminator Sector War, and it adds another twist to this constantly evolving, constantly rebooting time travel saga. We've seen so many different iterations of what actually happened in the past and in the future, and now um, this This new series is taking us back to 1984 when the first Terminator film took place, but with a new protagonist. So um, instead of just a single T-800 being sent back to 1984 to kill um, Sarah Connor, two Uh, Terminators are being sent back, one for Sarah Connor in L.A. and another one for an NYPD officer named Lucy Castro. So she is apparently a rookie cop who's assigned to one of the worst sections in the city. But suddenly she finds herself face to face with a relentless T-800 and um, she must battle do battle with it. Uh, so we don't, this is a completely new character. We have no idea who Lucy Castro is and if she'll even be um, playing a part in the upcoming movies. This is under Dark Horse Comics, so it's so, somewhat separate from uh, the James Cameron franchise. But uh, this is something we've kind of seen before with Dark Horse Comics in which they've done sort of retellings or reworkings of the Terminator series. Now, what has me excited about this is uh, Brian Wood is is behind this. And Brian Wood um, did some comics I liked. He did this series called DMZ, which I'm s- still surprised they have not turned into a movie or TV series. Um, and, uh, you know, he worked on uh, some video games, Grand Theft Auto and, and stuff for um, Rockstar Games. Uh, but I'm interested to see what this is. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like this is going to be part of that new canon. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering... I, you know, are people going to even care because, you know, people didn't even care to see the, the last film. But what, what do you what do you think, Ben? Are, are, are people going to care to even invest further in this uh, time travel franchise if, if this is not even part of the canon? Yeah, that's a good question. I I don't know. I'm kind of interested in it, even though I, I didn't particularly care for the past few Terminator movies. This does sound like a really cool premise to me. And it's got that sort of back to the future part two vibe where, you know, it, it's sort of uh, taking place in the backdrop of a story that we already know, because you've got this extra um, Terminator who's being sent back at the same time as, you know, the events that we've that we've already known from this franchise. So it's kind of a cool thing. And I wonder how uh, Brian Wood is going to 
um, intersperse those stories and, and sort of take these characters, uh, maybe crisscross them through some of the adventures that we are already familiar with. So um, it sounds like it's worth checking out. I don't know. I'm not sure how the general public will feel about that. But as somebody who is uh, who always hopes <laughs> that Terminator movies are good, um, I, I think it sounds like a cool premise. You know, I know everybody loves to hate on Terminator Genesis, but I kind of love that first act setup of that film where it's kind of like seeing the events of Terminator, but like an alternate version of that. You know, things have changed slightly. Um, and uh, it, it might just be because, you know, I lo- Back to the Future is my favorite film of all time. Time travel fascinates me. So I just love that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I'll be checking this out uh, because of Brian Wood and uh, this time travel concept. Uh, but let's move on to Star Wars. We have a couple Star Wars stories here. Uh, the first of which is we have learned that JJ's initial plan for Ray's parents was not what we saw happen in Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Uh, you know, I guess spoilers for Star Wars: The Last Jedi coming up here. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so as revealed in Ryan Johnson's Star Wars The Last Jedi, uh, Ray's parents are nobody. Uh, according to Kylo Ren, they were filthy junk traders, sold you off for drinking money. They're dead in a pauper's grave in the Jakku desert. You come from nothing. You're nothing. So that was the uh, the big revelation of uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. It turns out that J.J. Abrams apparently had a different plan in mind. So on a Uh, In a new interview on the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, actor Simon Pegg, who showed up in uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens, playing, I think his name was Ankar Plot, that that character, um, he revealed that he spoke with J.J. Abrams and that Abrams' initial plan for Ray's parentage was a little bit more traditional. So uh, Joshua Horowitz, who is the host of the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, tweeted, Simon Pegg confirms what I've long heard. J.J. had a much different plan for Ray's parentage. Quote, I know what J.J. kind of intended or at least was being chucked around. I think that's kind of been undone slightly by the last one. There was some talk of a relevant lineage for her. So that is uh, Simon Pegg's quote about J.J. Abrams' initial idea there. Um, It's fascinating because we have heard in previous reports that Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams both came to the same conclusion about Ray's heritage. So maybe Pegg is talking about a conversation that he might have had with Abrams very early on in the process before it evolved and, and maybe uh, Abrams changed his mind about Ray's parentage. But as you pointed out in our Slack channel, Peter, if you watch The Force Awakens, there appear to be some remnants of that concept um, that are still in the movie. We know that film underwent some pretty significant reshoots during the time when uh, Harrison Ford's leg was injured. You know, they shut down the production and, and rewrote a lot of that movie. Um, they completely reworked the entire relationship between Finn and Ray. And maybe they also reworked some of Ray's background during that time because there were some things that you noticed in The Force Awakens that yeah. seemed like. Um, that that seemed as if Ray was related to some of the characters, right? Yeah, there was some some significant changes, including Ray was originally named Kira, and they renamed her Ray during that those reshoots. Um, but I mean, if you see that moment with her and Han outside of um, Maz's castle, I feel like there's something going on there. And, and you see at the end of the Force Awakens, uh, you know, Carrie Fisher, uh, General Leia, runs over to Ray. You know, bypassing Chewbacca, you know, Han has just her 
her husband Han has just died. The the person you know, his best friend and co-pilot is, is distraught, and she runs right by him to you know go to Ray, this girl that she doesn't even know. It, it, it totally seems like it's something that's the remnants of uh, a previous version of the movie. Uh, I don't think. I know a lot of people like to give J.J. Abrams and a lot of direct, you know, uh, to give him a kind of flack and uh, be like, I can tell you from experience that every filmmaker that's dealing with a movie of any size, this big or, you know, a small movie, has thought about every single thing on that screen. And there's no way that J.J. messed up and was like, yeah, I'm going to have her run to Ray because Ray's the main character. Do do I mean, like, there's too much thought gone gone into that. So my my feeling is that originally Ray was going to be the daughter of of Han and Leia or... Or Luke? I don't know. I, I mean, I guess they could have sensed that it was Luke's daughter in some way, but obviously that's neither neither of those scenarios can be happening right now, right? Like with Last so, Jedi. So yeah, that that's the question. Is do you do you think that Abrams is going to sort of engage in these uh, storytelling gymnastics in order to get the final narrative to conform to his initial plan, or do you think he's going to roll with what Ryan Johnson did with? the story and and sort of uh pick up the baton and and go from there do you think he's what do you think peter well even ryan johnson has admitted that the confirmation of ray's parents has come from an unreliable narrator you know it's kylo ren telling her that her parents are nobodies and maybe he's just trying to say that to you know tempt her to the dark side uh now Ryan Johnson has said that his intention with that scene is he's telling her what he saw and that 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 he isn't lying to her. But there is the possibility that Ray could be someone. But it, it seems to me with Ryan Johnson's comments that he talked to J.J. Abrams and they were on the same page with who Ray's parents were before, you know, J.J. signed on to do episode nine. Um makes me believe that J.J. kind of had a change of plans, uh, you know, during that end of production of of, of Force Awakens. Um, H.T., would you be angry if they did introduce the concept that Ray's parents were someone we knew? I would be very angry. Um, Ray's parentage and the fact that she came from no one was one of my favorite parts of Last Jedi. I thought it was a really bold take and something that felt really true to the theme of the democratization of the force. You know, the fact that someone who came from nothing can rise up to be a hero is just so inspiring to me. And I love that Ryan Johnson did that. And I really also, I dislike the Han and Leia theory, um, just because you'd have to explain why Han and Leia would have abandoned um, Rey, being like the upstanding people that they are, like the heroes that we think they are, why would they go out of their way to abandon this child and then just like completely forget about her and possibly, even if she was just like right, right under their noses, it just doesn't really make sense to me as their characters are um, and also I just I hoped that like Ray would have been just completely separated from the Skywalker clan just because if it was more Skywalkers just kind of messing up the universe, I feel <laughs> like the whole saga just would feel like you know, keeping up with the Skywalkers. It doesn't have to be a 19th century novel in which everyone is related and that kind of thing. Well, I do have a nerdy way that you could explain this, HD. I'm not not saying this is good. (laughs) I'm not saying this is good. But maybe Han and Leia thought that their daughter was killed during the events of the the Jedi uh, 
massacre at the uh, mm. Jedi Academy, and maybe someone, uh, I don't know who would drop her off in, <laughs> in Jakku, but like Lor Santeca or some, some, someone like that. Of, of course, this isn't good. This is not a good, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a screenwriter. <laughs> so, um, but I do want to point out that like, if you listen to or read interviews from Kathleen Kennedy or J.J. Abrams, from when they were making Force Awakens, they say many times, this is the Skywalker saga. This is the story of the Skywalkers. And uh, it clearly, like, um, and, you know, they only committed to three films, but it seemed like they wanted to do more. It seemed like the plan then was to follow that one lineage. Um, I'm fine that it's changed. (laughs) I'm I'm totally cool with uh, Last Jedi. But I think it's just more evidence that there, there was some further you know concept of 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 a skywalker blooded lineage there um and i hope i hope in star wars episode nine um that we get to see ray deal with this a little bit more like i feel like that whole concept of her being from a nobody was thrown at her in this very climactic uh moment where she we were not able to see her like proper properly deal with it and my worry is that episode nine is gonna you know jump years in the future and we're not gonna actually get to see her deal with that idea um of her she sort of deals with it in the cave in octu right like that's she (laughs) is like hoping to see her parents and then just sees a reflection of herself and also one thing going back to what you were talking about in the beginning you, you said that kylo ren is the one who reveals to her that her parents were nobody but he he says you know he asks her to say it aloud and she's the one who says that they were nobody and then he sort of explains that they were traitors or whatever um who who just abandoned her but but she already knew that i mean like everybody always says kylo ren tells her maybe he's lying or whatever but ray is the one who says they were nobody so I, i don't know there there might be um uh, it might be more definitive than everybody seems to think it could be. Oh, that, that's a good point. Uh, but let's move on to our second Star Wars story. And that also deals with Ryan Johnson. He is making a new Star Wars trilogy, um, which has been announced. We don't know when it's coming out. We don't know what it's about. Uh, but he, we do, we have learned a little bit about his process and what he's aiming for. HD, what do we know? So Ryan Johnson is still in the early stages of planning his new Star Wars trilogy, which will be apart from the, like you said, the Skywalker saga that we've seen recently. Uh, But he is just kind of looking at everything and and wondering and trying to figure out what will fit. So in a new interview with Digital Spy, he said um, that his new films will actually be a little bit more familiar than not. So he, he said, and I quote, only goal I have is to think about how Star Wars made me feel as a kid. And that's it. I'm trying to capture what is that if it's not iconography that we recognize necessarily from the original trilogy. What captures that spirit? What can be that for a kid who's never heard of Star Wars? Is getting back to the very fundamental questions of what makes this what it is. So, unquote. And so that is kind of um, the idea of what Ryan Johnson is going to, just kind of like the overall feeling and the spirit of what the original Star Wars trilogy is. And that, I think, is definitely up for debate, especially after the um, outrage that Last Jedi incurred. But uh, you could see him going back to maybe Joseph Campbell's um, hero's journey that the first Uh, that A New Hope evokes, or maybe some of the ideas of, like, the mythology of original Star Wars. So it's kind of 
it's all very up in the air, but it sounds really intriguing. And I, I really like Last Jedi, as I, as I've uh, talked about before. So I really, I'm excited for what Johnson, Ryan Johnson has in store for something that doesn't have, where he's just starting from scratch. I'm wondering what that would be like. What 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 does the original like a, a New Hope evoke in you? Like to me, like I kind of get like a little bit of like swashbuckling kind of like action, and there's that mythic storytelling, and there's you know the 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 worlds and creatures. I feel like a lot of the Star Wars films have kind of concentrated on that. Like what uh, Ben? Do you have any idea like what would you be trying to emulate? from that original uh, film or trilogy uh, if you were Ryan Johnson making this new uh, trilogy? I I think he's probably just talking about tonally. Um, There's like a purity to especially A New Hope um, that, you know, you mentioned the swashbuckling. There's there's a lot of these genres coming together. But but the real essence of that movie is something that's pure. It's it's an adventure story through and through. And you don't, you know, as the Star Wars franchise has gone on, it's sort of um, picked up all this baggage along the way in as the story has grown bigger and bigger over the years. So I think stripping all of the baggage away and just getting back to the purity of an adventure, um, whether that's, you know, an unexpected coming from an unexpected place or however he's going to work that into his new characters that he's creating. Uh, I, I think that might be what he's talking about, just the, the tonal sense of um, of of the purity that the original movie has. No, I I, I totally agree. Uh, let's move on to our next story, and that is that the Stranger Things creators are under attack from a filmmaker claiming that they stole, uh, ripped off his idea from a short film uh, that he pitched to them. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so uh, Charlie Kessler is a filmmaker who made uh, a short film called Montauk back in 2012. So he co-wrote, directed, and produced this short, and it ended up winning, uh, I think, an award at a short film festival or something like that. Uh, Kessler, so the, the short film is basically about a kid who disappears and then reappears and he has telepathy and there's like military experiments going on and it's based on the same sorts of materials that inspired the uh, Duffer brothers to create Stranger Things which is um, the Montauk project which is a, a series of top secret government experiments that happened in Long Island that conspiracy theorists believe involved stuff like telekinesis and time travel um, whether or not any of this actually happened is a, a matter of debate I guess but that provided the the foundation for Stranger Things and, and actually the, the first the original title of Stranger Things was actually Montauk Right. Yeah, exactly. And 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 uh, Kessler is essentially saying that he pitched this whole he took his short and, and showed it to the Duffer brothers and essentially pitched the idea for Stranger Things to them in 2014. And they then stole the idea and, and you know, went on to become the, the filmmakers that they are now. And the show went on to be a smash hit. And when it came out in the summer of 2016 uh, and Kessler, I guess, has just been waiting around to get enough um, evidence and, and maybe the the legal team together to be able to put forth this this claim. So he's suing them. And then today, the Duffer brothers responded to the claim and said that Mr. Kessler's claim is completely meritless. He had no connection to the creation or development of Stranger Things. The Duffer brothers have never seen uh, Mr. Kessler's short film nor discussed any project with him. This is just an attempt to profit from other people's creativity and hard work. So it's interesting that there are two, uh, obviously there are 
two different sides to every story, but it's rare that um, that they're so different, right? That that they can't even agree on the idea that Kessler showed them the short or or pitched them or met up with them at this party in, in 2014 at all. So it, it remains to be seen exactly how this is going to shake out. We're obviously not uh, not lawyers or anything. I don't, I don't know. Yeah what we can what we can fully say about this but we do know that the short was intended to be for something more a, a launch pad to directing a feature film that where he expanded on those those ideas we actually interviewed charlie kessler back in 2012 when montauk first came out um so you can read more about this in the article at slash film but uh i don't know peter ht do you guys think there's any validity here i think it's a thin argument just because stranger things itself is such a pastiche of all these different <laughs> elements you know i mean like not i'm not saying i, that, I, I like, want stephen king to come out and announce he's going to file a lawsuit against them <laughs> the 80s is going to come and file a lawsuit against stranger things but yeah it's just like i mean stranger things is an homage to all of these things and it it is based heavily on the montauk case but it's not like you know the montauk um conspiracy theory was a secret or anything it's I don't want to say public domain, but it's out there for everyone to sort of mine for either a TV show or a short film. So I I don't really know how much validity they have to or this man has to his case. Yeah. And, and, and it should be established that, like, you know, things in Hollywood happen. A parallel development is what they call it. It happens all the time. You know, Ants and A Bug's Life, Armageddon and Deep Impact. Like, you know, th- these films get made at the same time. Ideas separately but similar happen all the time. Um, I think, uh, you know, I. I don't have a law degree, obviously, you know, I'm podcasting on a movie website. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think if this guy could prove he was in the same room with the Duffer brothers and showed them his project, then maybe he has a case. Um, maybe maybe he's looking to get paid off. Um, but uh, other than that, uh, I don't think there's any way he's going to win this lawsuit if, if he can't prove that in some way. But um, yeah, uh, let's move on to our last and final story, and that is the continuing saga, the uh, the candy ass saga, is what HTS called it. Uh, Dwayne Johnson is unsure if he's going to return for Fast and the Furious Nine. Uh, HT, what do we know? So it all started on August eighth, twenty sixteen, when The Rock uh, posted an Instagram t- speaking about the Fast and Furious Eight filming, saying that he had. Zero tolerance for candy asses. The internet went up in uproar. Who was this candy ass? Who was the person that he was calling out for in the Fast and Furious crew? And it turns out that was Vin Diesel. And it thus sparked one of the greatest feuds uh, in cinematic history. Vin Diesel versus The Rock. Um, between A Rock and a Vin Diesel place. <laughs> I remember at first we, there was speculation that this was just like a feud that they were like hyping up for like a WrestleMania appearance or yeah. something. <laughs> but I wouldn't no. be surprised if that was the case, but no, it, it seems like it's a very real feud and uh, it's, it's been uh, brought up again after Dwayne Johnson spoke with Rolling Stone in, a, in an interview about um, possibly returning for Fast and Furious nine. And he said, quote, I'm not quite sure right now. I'm concentrating on making the spinoff Hobbs and Shaw co-starring Jason Statham as good as it can be. But I wish him all the best, and I harbor no ill will there just because of the clarity we have. Actually, you can erase the last part about no ill will. I'll just keep it with the clarity. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So Dwayne Johnson is, uh, yes, reigniting that feud. And um, 
possibly taking him out of the running, taking himself out of the running for Fast and Furious 9, which is a really bold move because the Fast and Furious series has become incredibly reliant on uh, Dwayne Johnson's character, Agent Hobbs, and Hobbs' introduction in, I think it was Furious 6, uh, really five. Re- five. five, I'm sorry, Fat Furious 5, really reinvigorated the series and uh, just kind of escalated it to the action-packed, um, ridiculous blockbuster that it is now. And um, now with him doing the spinoff, it seems like, you know, it's it definitely he's becoming more of the star than Vin Diesel and he knows it. So it's it's very interesting that he just is continuing this feud with me and the fact that the fate of the Fast and Furious franchise is a little up in the air now. Ben, I know you used to be a huge fan of this franchise, not so much in the latest uh, iterations. Uh, do, do you do you think that the, the, the franchise is going to lose something not having Dwayne Johnson in that final uh, final film? And is there the possibility that the Hobbs film could outperform Fast 9 at the box office because of this? I am still a fan of this franchise, Peter, even though I didn't really love The Fate of the Furious in the same way that I've loved the other ones. But I have to say the the movies that I've truly, truly loved in the franchise all involve Dwayne Johnson and his character just really perfectly um, uh, symbolizes the true ridiculousness that, that this franchise has sort of evolved into over the years. So the idea that he would leave is uh, is sort of soul-crushing to me because I love this franchise so much. Um, I do think that, uh, that, yeah, the Hobbs and Shaw spinoff movie could end up doing better business than Fast 9, especially since... You know, it seems like people I mean, I know that the fate of the furious made a ton of money at the box office. But I, th- I think speaking with fans of the franchise anyway, it seems like it, it wasn't nearly as well received as some of the, the previous efforts. Um, and maybe, you know, distilling Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham's charisma and and their uh, camaraderie and, and chemistry into one movie might be. Uh, all that audiences really are looking for from this franchise at this point, especially with Paul uh, Walker's character no longer being involved. Because think about the uh, the alternative is that Fast Nine is going to be more Scott Eastwood, and nobody wants that. Peter, oh, God, <laughs> I I was reading up on um, Pacific Rim Uprising before a couple weeks, and I for- totally forgot that Scott Eastwood was a- was in Fate of the Furious. I remember watching him and just remembering that he was complete wet cardboard. <laughs> uh, he's so bad in that movie like i'm not saying that movie is good but uh he brings that movie down every every moment he's in it um yeah i don't know what the, what to see I, I i think there is kind of like a difference of direction there between vin diesel and the rock too like i almost feel like when you get this like a whole dramatic family storyline of the fast and furious films it feels like vin diesel is taking that seriously where the rock is the person that knows how ridiculous this franchise is and mm-hmm. how much fun this should be. So I feel like if they go back more into that like dramatic, serious direction, it's going to be more of what I don't want with this franchise. Um, but we'll have to see. Uh, and, and maybe if they bring Han back in Fast 9, that would be a way yes. to uh, to sort of like offset some of the negativity of the previous movie and, and maybe be able to compete a little bit with the spinoff. Um, and I know how, that... How do you possibly explain that, Ben? Um, 
I don't know, but let me say that Chris Morgan, who's the writer producer of a lot of these things, I have faith that he would be able to come up with a way that uh, that fits appropriately with what's going on in this franchise. So I don't Luke know. Luke Evans' exactly. character came back from a coma, so you know, you know yeah. I mean, Han I, might have exploded, but he can come back. And yeah, I, I'm not sure. Maybe it's like Han's twin brother, John <laughs> or something, you know, but some way to get Sung Kang back into the fold would be uh, very, uh, it would be a good move on their part, I think. Yeah. But does Vin Diesel want more people to share his spotlights? I don't think so. Uh, but that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. HT, where can people find more of your work? You can find me every day at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Ben, where can I find you? You can find me at SlashFilm.com as well, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Uh, you can find me at SlashFilm on Twitter. You can find all the stories we mentioned today on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, uh, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and television. Uh, you can subscribe to SlashFilm Daily on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, and all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free and send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at slashfilm.com. We're going to try to do some more mailbag episodes coming up. Uh, please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>